there, it's Jonathan Strickland, and I'm here to introduce a playlist of 10 episodes of my podcast, Tech Stuff, that are all about entertainment and entertainment-related fields, from video games to television series to films to internet videos from yesteryear. So I hope you guys enjoy these episodes. You can go to the Tech Stuff podcast page and subscribe to listen to all sorts of episodes about tech from all realms. And hopefully this will provide a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of education, and probably more than a few puns because that's kind of how I roll. Enjoy this playlist. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And we thought we would bring to you a playlist of some fun episodes for stuff to listen to while we all try to get through these trying times. And the first one, I think, is a real doozy. We really knock it out with a, uh, a funny pair of people, the Brothers Chaps, the creators of Homestar Runner. Uh, my uh, former super producer, Ramsey, ended up landing me an interview with these two gents. They came into the studio and we had a great conversation. And stick around to the very end because a special guest gave me a very special sign-off for that episode. Hope you enjoy. I am overjoyed to be joined in the studio by Matt and Mike Chapman, also known as the Brothers Chaps, the creators of Homestar Runner, as well as many other projects. And uh, it's a bit of a fanning out, geek out moment for me. I've been a fan of Homestar Runner since before I was working at How Stuff Works. And really, it's great to have two people here who... They their work preceded the age of YouTube web series because YouTube didn't exist when you guys launched Homestar Runner. And anyone who has been on the Internet for any length of time has at least encountered Homestar Runner references if they're not deeply familiar with the incredible lore and mythology the 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 deep legends of Homestar Runner that have found their way into all sorts of other mythos. I mean, you're part of the Buffy verse, yeah. guys. Yeah, that was a cool one. <laughs> now somehow we're responsible for the Doge meme, even though we didn't really have anything to do with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, you have a you have an incredible couple of bonus tracks on Guitar Hero Two, yeah. which have uh, confounded me on numerous occasions. So, <laughs> I mean, your the influence just keeps on going. But for people who have never seen a Homestar Runner cartoon. They, they're they not familiar with it. I can't wait Don't to Don't bother you. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you missed the boat. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Just go go to knowyourmeme.com and you'll find stuff. No, I want to hear from you guys because I'm really curious to, to hear your elevator pitch <laughs> for what is Homestar Runner? Homestar Runner. <laughs> I like the... Matt's furrowed brow right now as he struggles with this. There's a series of animated shorts following the exploits of non-humanoid, ageless uh, organisms <laughs> that have uh, that interact with one another in 
meaningful and humorous ways to the delight of several <laughs> of literally dozens of people uh, that's, uh, that's the elevator pitch and that's why we just did this ourselves and never had any I mean I'm, I'm starting to get a, get a gleam of the the marketing brilliance <laughs> yeah exactly that has been part of Homestar Runner since the very beginning uh, so I know you guys have talked about this in other interviews, but I would love it if you could kind of uh, walk people through the origin of where this all came from, because it all I mean, I know it's kind of a, a mishmash story because Homestar Runner itself ends up being a reference to a weird joke that kind of came yeah. up of a local Atlanta uh, uh, ad spot, right? Yeah. So our friend Jamie Huggins was mimicking a Kroger or Winn-Dixie ad that Mark Lemke was on in probably 1994 or uh -huh. something. Jamie doesn't know a lot about sports. So instead of saying all-star second baseman for the Braves, Mark Lemke, he, he was trying to parody this commercial and said, and now home star runner for the Braves, Mark Lemke. <laughs> and we we're all just like, Jamie, what is the home star runner? <laughs> and so then a couple years later, um, we, Kept using that phrase and decided to uh, use it as a, you know, the name of a character when we were bored one day and made a story involving Homestar Runner. This is uh, great because, you know, it's it's the sort of thing, I think it's an inspirational story, honestly, because I know I've got lots of friends that we goof off and we make, you know, you'll make a joke and every now and then a joke is just, it's sticky. It, yeah. It's something that that for some reason resonates beyond just the moment of making uh, an offhand absurd reference and then it kind of snowballs from there and it can grow. And to me, that's so, sort of what Homestar Runner sounds like. It was something that began as just sort of this one-off little goof, but it ended up inspiring uh, a huge number of shorts. So after the the little joking about a, a local ad spot, and by the way, if you ever really need to mine for comedy gold, you just have to find some some great Atlanta, local Atlanta uh, uh, commercials. I've <laughs> seen so many amazing ones, including people I know have showed up in them, like, like Chris Blair of Dad's Garage <laughs> character. But if you guys uh, then went on and started looking at things like uh, children's books and seeing how terrible children's books can be and thought, we can do a, ch a terrible children's book. Uh, and Homestar Runner had a, a spot in that. But beyond that, we get into the you know late 90s, early 2000s, and the World Wide Web was really just starting to get some really serious traction at that point, right? We're seeing kind of the, the end phase of what people later on would call the Web 1.0 era, where everything was very static, uh, nothing was interactive. You would probably have a web page and it wouldn't change from one month to the next. So there's no reason to ever go back. You, you go once and that's it. You made a new web page. You didn't update your web page. Right. Here's my new web page. Right. You got a new URL and you yeah. started something else. And you would have to have the little under construction picture <laughs> at the very top, yeah. right? Because it's never finished except for the fact that it's always kind of finished. Uh, so you got interested in in uh, in flash animation and flash in general and uh this is interesting to me because it it gave an opportunity to have a more dynamic uh experience on the web something that was totally new at that time today we take it for granted you know every website is dynamic in some way or another or has some sort of dynamic element worked into it but at that time it was pretty new and the concept of creating uh episodic content that you could 
very easily see, you know, the next episode. That was new as well. There weren't a whole lot of examples of that before you get into, say, the mid-2000s when uh, stuff like YouTube started to show up. So from what I understand, is it true that essentially the reason why Homestar Runner exists as a cartoon is that it was kind of a way to uh, to practice with Flash? Like you were... You, you needed to animate something, so why not use this character you yeah, created? Yeah, we were really learning uh, web development stuff. Like, that's why we were learning Flash and graphic design and stuff like that was, like, for job-type stuff. And we just used the Homestar characters as, like, how are we going to learn this new software, Flash? Um, and, well, and more so than we need to animate something, it was like, we need to make something. I mean, I graduated from film school and moved back to Atlanta from uh, Tallahassee, Florida, and, uh, you know, they weren't shooting Avengers movies in Atlanta uh, in 1998 or whenever that would have been. Um, They weren't really shooting much of anything uh, other than fantastic local Dixie (laughs) commercials. And so I, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to do, and, like, there was, you were not ever going to try and put video on the web at Mm -hmm. that point. Like, there was just, I mean, lots of people still had dial-up modems. It was just not um, something that you could afford the bandwidth for either. So, I mean, we just wanted to make stuff. Mike moved back from, he he dropped out of grad school and moved back. And anytime we've always, we've been together from when we were kids, we've made stuff together. And so we were like, all right, well, what are we making? And Flash was a way that was like, oh, wait, we don't need, uh, you know, a budget. We don't need a crew. We don't need, uh, you know, to go rent a camera. We don't need film stock or whatever. We can start making content. Um, and so it was like, all right, well, I guess we're going to learn how to animate because, and we had done stop motion stuff when we were kids and we were fans of animation, obviously. But, Mario Paint. Yeah. No, exactly. wow. We yeah. used Mario Paint for the Super Nintendo, but we never, um, that wasn't what either of us were like schooled in. Mm-hmm. Um, we were always artists and, and, and creators of something, but never specifically animation. So we didn't look at it initially as like, oh, we are, we can't wait to start animating. It was more like, this is a way to tell stories so what is the best thing we have for that medium and it was like oh what if we turn that homestar runner character and his friends into a cartoon um and so that was kind of what it was born out of um and the same reason that we would you know leave each other dumb answering machine messages uh voicemail messages where mm-hmm. it's like oh wait here's some content i have a <laughs> medium uh, to produce something on it's the 30 seconds before the beep happens here mike here's my little narrative i'm going to give you uh when i'm asking you if you you know remember to get some high life at the Publix or whatever um so anyway so flash was kind of the next one of those you know it was the next yeah. one yeah and flash was also easy i mean it was easy enough for people that weren't animators to you know stumble their way through and produce mm-hmm. something that was you know halfway decent um, yeah, so two guys in their apartment with, like, a couple of keyboards could, like, make something that sounded, you know, 75% as good as the, like, at that time, you know, there were these studios making Flash things that had, like, you'd watch the credits of a 30-second Flash cartoon, and it had, like, 30 people involved. Um, one for each second of the cartoon, I guess. Right, <laughs> right. And this is so f- interesting to me because it, it parallels so nicely with the uh, the rise of computer games, um, I did a an episode recently about uh, Sierra games, which oh. I know you guys love. Yeah. yeah, I got to talk to Ken Williams. Nice. Uh, he, he actually came on. Uh, he tried to get Roberta. I was going to say not Roberta. No, he tried to, but she she was uh, busy trying to figure out how to work their cable box. So uh, yeah, now all of that is actually in the episode too. So it's great. But uh, and I, I I was very thankful for him to participate. But it was so interesting because the whole reason why Sierra Games got started was that he was programming. Uh, Roberta had started to encounter games 
And a lot of those games were being written by people who were teaching themselves how to code. So games were great because it was a, something that had structure, right? You had an idea, you then had to learn how to bring that idea to fruition. And so the game was really the, the, the tool they were using in order to educate themselves on how to code. And then eventually the whole industry kind of grew out of that. And it's very similar to what the, you guys are saying, like necessity is the mother of invention. You had this, this tool there. You needed to learn how to use the tool. You had certain limitations placed on you, but those limitations ended up just shaping the direction. Right. It didn't hold you back necessarily. Um, and in fact, I could argue that without those limitations, you could end up being paralyzed by choice, right? You have so many options open to you, you don't even know what to tackle next. That's why Homestar cartoons are still 550 by 400. Because that was the default in Flash and still animated at 12 frames a second. <laughs> These limitations are still 17 years later. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's interesting now because we're in an era, the sort of the post-Flash era as well, where we're starting to see Flash being, you know, pushed further and further away. No, there's not really any develop on, development on that. And I know that has posed something of a challenge for uh, Homestar Runner as well because, you know, it, that whole archive, it's all in Flash. So... I'm sure there's the the some of it has been ported over to YouTube, obviously, yeah. which is great because you know that's a a fantastic way for people to find it. Uh, although I I think you guys ended up following a strategy that I've heard several creators say is uh, incredibly important for you. It was necessary, which was that you created your own space where stuff would go and live in that Homestar Runner's own domain. Uh, the Bernie Burns of Rooster Teeth has talked about the same thing, that you need to have a space that's your own, because if you start depending upon someone else's platform and that platform changes, right. you're at their mercy. So you are actually ahead of the game, but only because, really because that was that was the only there way you were going to go option. forward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like pioneers because what else was there to do? <laughs> but it ended up being, again, like that, that inspired Bernie Burns over at Rooster Teeth to do the same sort of thing. He, he knew he didn't want to put everything just on another platform. Like at that time, it would have been like MySpace or YouTube. Um, so it's, it's something that has since gone on to inspire others. So, uh, you, you go in, you start making this cartoon and, uh, you're having a good time. At what, at what point during the process did you start to feel like, this was going to be something bigger than just a, a fun project to do occasionally uh, and become something a little more serious than that. So we're, we're, what, early 2000s here. We've been doing it for a couple years, maybe 2000, 2001 was sort of when we were just, uh, that was the sort of early years. And mm -hmm. I think it was sometime in 2001 when we started doing Strong Bad Emails every, yeah. every week. Yeah. I think that was a turning point, um, and it certainly didn't feel like it at the time. But I think looking back, having giving the fans a week, like something to look forward to every week and knowing, OK, I'm going to check back on Monday morning. I'm going to check back on Monday morning. That sort of snowballed into sort of where we, I don't know. Yeah, and then we sort of think of the point where we realize like, oh, wait, I think lots of people are watching this and uh, more than maybe, maybe we thought was when uh, – for the first couple of years, we were just on like a Yahoo shared hosting account. It mm -hmm. was supposed to be like 30 bucks a month and you got like five gigs of bandwidth or something. And I don't know how many cartoons would have been on the website at that point. But um, I remember pr printing out this thing and I think we got kind of a tip off, right, from somebody at Yahoo that was just like, 
hey, I'm a fan of what you guys are doing. You're going to have to find another solution. <laughs> and he was like, I've been looking the other way for a while now. <laughs> and so uh, I get into our account and download the, like, you know, whatever, just bandwidth chart thing. Mm-hmm. And we've done, uh, like, 13 terabytes of transfer or something wow. on, our, on our 30 g- or 5 gauge, <laughs> whatever. So there's, we always just pictured this um, server in the back of some Yahoo data center, like, smoking and sparking <laughs> in the back. Um, yeah, and that's when it... it uh, we got shut down at some point, right? That's when the, yeah, we the went, system is down. So the site was actually down for a day or two. Yeah. Um, and uh, But that was kind of when we were like, oh, wow, okay. You know, we'd gotten some emails from people. We knew that there were some, you know, but we just sort of assumed it was like, oh, these few people that know about Flash animation on the web have found our stuff, and that's mm-hmm. awesome. And we thought that was great. Um, I think that was when, that was kind of the moment where we were like, oh, wait, maybe this is something we could do, we could continue to do. And because at the time we still had regular day jobs. Sure. Um and I think that was probably about the same time we decided to sell some merch. And and then a year or so into that was when our dad, who is a, was a CPA, um, like to- basically told his two screw-up artist sons to quit their jobs. <laughs> he was like, this is dumb. You quit your jobs and make these cartoons for a living, would you? Which is what we always feel like is the probably the best moment you could you could ask for from a father son. Oh yeah, when you've got a turn public accountant saying, hey guys, no, you know that, that regular steady gig you have yeah. quit it like, what <laughs> that's amazing go make cartoons with your brother in the basement good grief that's like yeah dream come true moment right there <laughs> tons and tons of, of shorts that you guys have made lots of wonderful characters not to mention all the alternate versions of those characters. That was always the most fun, was to sort of world build and do other, yeah. Yeah. I always enjoyed that. I love the old-timey ones. Good. They're my, I always like people that like, that's that's my favorite too, so. Well, there's a... <laughs> sort uh, of polarizing. Uh, no, I, to me, it's just uh, the level of absurdity uh, coupled with the transatlantic accent is <laughs> my favorite. There's a, um, uh, there's a video that, that we did here at how stuff works about the transatlantic accent. They got me to be the one to do it. Oh, and nice. I, I have to say like there's certain, certain influences that went into the absolute nonsense that I was spouting off randomly at the end of the video, just to kind of give examples of transatlantic accent and the old timey Homestar runner ones were, Way up there. <laughs> so nice. It's like, uh, I know what I'm saying has no meaning, but it doesn't matter. So, And also, it's just fun to do until somebody really tells you to knock it off. And then, uh, then it's actually fun to do for about another five minutes. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, you got to yeah. get past that point. And right. <laughs> it's the whole thing where you, you tell a joke until it stops being funny, and you keep yeah. telling it, and it gets funny again. Yeah. yeah Volume uh, and repetition. Get louder, too. <laughs> yeah. Those are the, two, <laughs> the two keys. I remember the um, – I always think of the uh, – Sideshow Bob stepping on the rakes in the yes. here episode of The Simpsons. It's like it's like wait, he's going to do it again. It's like happened so many times that it like was whoa, but he did it one more time. <laughs> and so it was wow. I didn't you know I thought they were going to draw the line at nineteen. Yeah, and then, bam, number twenty. <laughs> uh, well, out of all that massive amount of stuff that you guys have done, are there any things that just stand out in particular in your in your minds as things like when you came up with it or when you first animated it? Uh, it brought you guys just just genuine joy and whether whether or not it went on to have a life of its own afterward uh, i'm always interested to hear the kind of stuff that when someone writes it and and i know this gets self-indulgent but when you write it and you just think that's great that's just a great little moment there you know even if even if you have to disassociate yourself with it a little bit is there anything like that stands out in your mind 
for me, and it may be, I don't know if it's the same for Matt, uh, you mentioned Sierra Games. We mm-hmm. did a um, Peasant's Quest, which was a riff on King's Quest, uh, sort of in the Trogdor universe. And to me, making that whole game was probably the, the most fun thing we ever did, Homestar-related. Um, just making the graphics for it, mm-hmm. making the puzzles, doing, I mean, just and implement it, make, being able to make a game that was not only, it wasn't a parody of those games, it was an homage to mm-hmm. those games, and it was those games, you know, like, it was functional, it wasn't just a joke. Right. Yeah. Uh, I feel like when we made, there's a email, is it 118? What's virus? 118 or 119? Strong bad email, yeah, 118, where he gets a computer virus. And all this kind of crazy stuff happens and it gets a little like meta and uh, and then mm-hmm. it ends up with him getting a new computer in the next one because um, he has to sacrifice his computer. But I remember that was one where we, we stayed up all night. We did uh, – is that another one where we messed with the frame? Yeah, he goes flash outside or like, the frame. Yeah, so we, yeah. we resized the size of the movie but the viewer wouldn't know because we still always had this black border around it. But then at some point in it, the like border moves and so it like <laughs> kind of messes with your head uh, in the cartoon. And then we – there's a part where pop-up ads start showing up in the cartoon, and then we made a real pop-up ad. Like, we did some action. Like, I forget what it was. The action script, like, made one happen in your browser, too. So it was this broke, broke the fourth wall, you know, outside of your normal computer realm. And um, I just remember finishing that one up. Like, I'm pretty sure we stayed up all night for that one. And uh, and then the next day, um, we went to, what, Steak and Shake? Is that what we'd always, like, we'd, like, finish yeah. it up and be like, yeah, that's good. And we just had a good feeling. And we didn't even, like, go look because we didn't. We tried not to be, we always want to know, uh, stay in touch with the fans, but never like tried to, uh, you know, we didn't like dissect every comment or every, at the time it would have been like a live journal page or something. Like there weren't just like message boards uh, or comment sections like there are now. But um, uh, I don't even, I think we didn't even look at like anything. We we're just like, we just, they're all going to love it. We have this, everybody's going to love this one. And we love this one. We had a really good time with it. Let's go get Steak and Shake. <laughs> that was just a, uh, I don't know that sort of moment where you're like confident enough in yourself to be like I think I think we did a home run here and then uh, you know and then you went back and it was like oh I think people did like it like I remember always thinking along those lines when you would make a good one it was mm-hmm. like okay we did a good one people liked it and then that my thinking was that okay that just buys us three or four bad ones like now we'll forgive three or four bad ones every good one you do is like okay now I've got a little more yeah. currency to uh, mess up well you know that also brings me there was a, a recent piece I read that was uh, interesting it was about um, uh, people who are in the creative industry uh, they were specifically focusing on YouTubers but to me it really could be anyone from Twitch streamers to podcasters to uh, cartoonists, really any any creative endeavor, especially a creative endeavor where you're trying to deliver consistent um, content on on like a schedule, that one of the dangers is always this this fear of burnout. It's not just it's not just the idea of writer's block, which is something that we all deal with at one time or another, where you're just you're staring at the empty page and there's just nothing coming to you. But just that that pressure of delivering, especially when you've uh, built up a reputation of certain kind of material, was that ever anything that was threatening you guys while you were working on it? Yeah, I mean, it definitely made things, you know, early on we made cartoons because they were fun. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there was definitely a period where Saturday, Sunday came around and we're like, oh, we don't have no ideas for the strong bed email. We have to make one. And then you just kind of have to power through. Yeah. Um, which is it wasn't really that big of a deal, but it like it, if it wasn't for the expectation that sure. was there, you wouldn't have done it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's tough when you're trying, when your goal is to entertain someone 
and it feels like, you know, you're going to have to push through it, then that adds that extra layer, right? Like, yeah. you're like, it's not just that I need to do it. I need to do it and make someone laugh. And, oh. yeah. and I'm not having fun. I don't want to be doing this. Yeah. I wanna, yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's, I think, working in that, the way we worked where m- most of the stuff we did, we made in the 48 hours or so before it was, you know, thrown out into the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we made most everything from Friday to Sunday. Wow. Um, so it was a double-edged sword. I mean, sometimes it was terrible, you know, probably the results were terrible, but other times you use that same energy and it's like, if you sit there for two weeks and overthink things, you're you're going to talk yourself out of something mm-hmm. that some dumb idea that, you know, could have, you know, Trogdor, for instance, is probably something that you think about it long enough. It's like, I don't know, maybe we can just, maybe he shouldn't have this beefy arm sticking out of his back. <laughs> but when you've got, you know, 15 minutes before you're going to put it live, it's just like, oh, let's leave it in. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a design choice at this point. Yeah. Uh, we, we also had the, uh, I feel like we had the luxury of, being able to do kind of whatever we wanted. And so even if there were those times where we were like out of ideas for a strong, bad email or something, that's when we'd be like, well, let's do an old time. What do we want to do? Let's do an old timey cartoon this week. Let's do, uh, you know, we invented like a uh, 80s hair metal band for the, the Homestar universe. We invented a like indie rock band because that's kind of where we were in high school and college. And so it was just sort of like, I just want to make a like indie rock song this week. And so I was like, all right, well, let's invent a band and put it in a cartoon. And then that's, you know, so we, it was kind of nice where we just have to stop thinking of like, we're delivering this formula to right. everybody. And a lot of, th- you know, especially if it wasn't in the form of a strong bad email, I'm sure there were fans that were disappointed, but it was like, all right, well, that's what you got to put up with for like, I, I didn't get burned out and hated the thing that you like right. that I do because I got like re-energized by taking a little flight of fancy or whatever and, and doing something kind of, um, out of our normal uh, wheelhouse or whatever. Um, and so I think that uh, we would um, employ that, I think, a, a good bit too, kind of helped stave off any sort of burnout where it was just like, all right, well, I should shut up because, like, not only do I get to make cartoons for a living, mm-hmm. but uh, I got to, like, blow off making cartoons and go do, you know, whatever, <laughs> make, a, make a Sierra game or make right. a, uh, like, 80s hair metal song this week. So, But, yeah, and you guys also had stuff on the site that, went beyond like you like the games are a good example there were various interactive elements on the website besides uh games and and little sound boards and things like that you had uh the live action trogdor uh uh trailer which is one of my favorites and uh partly because i know some of the people were on there when i was watching i was like ah, yeah. oh it's so fun and uh that's the beauty of living in atlanta and you guys uh, got to to work with some great atlanta talent which i i imagine is is just exploding at this point because we've got so many things happening in atlanta i'm sure that opens up a lot of different opportunities as well um which is fantastic but uh, I also want to thank you guys for uh, the this idea of being able to branch out and try different things and and open up different universes because I like to imagine that it was one of those weeks where we got uh, blessed with Teen Girl Squad, which is probably my favorite of all of the, <laughs> the variations that have come out. I, I it's one my wife and I still quote <laughs> consistently, so we're always happy whenever we get a Teen Girl Squad. Uh, so, you know, the popularity of Homestar grew and grew, and, and it's really interesting that you guys were, you know, you weren't really uh, focused on the analytics. It's not like you were, you know, watching those counts. Like, you know, there are people who are, are obsessed over that, whether it was back in the old web days where you had the little visitor counter yeah. that would go up by one little digit <laughs> counter that would go up every time. Or now it's obviously like YouTube views and subscriptions, that kind of thing. 
it seems like that was never really uh, something that you guys were were terribly focused on or concerned with. You were just, you know, looking at the content and creating that. Yeah, and we didn't want, we sort of actively didn't look at that because we didn't want, you know, if we did something that we liked, mm-hmm. that it maybe didn't get the views of something else. Like, we didn't want that to affect, like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. let's just make another Trogdor or make another Stinko Man or something. So we would actively sort of try to distance ourselves from knowing what was hitting and what wasn't just so that we could, so it wouldn't mess with the creative process. Yeah, we talked to a, a YouTube, uh, a couple of younger YouTube guys a few years ago, and uh, they were talking about how, like, you know, they use the live thing. There's, like, a live analytics thing on mm-hmm. YouTube. Like, you can upload your video, and then right then it's showing you. It's just like any other, you know, Google Analytics thing where you can see who is watching it right now, and if they and you know if they commented. I don't know if you know exactly who did what comment, but you know they're interacting with the comments, or right. they liked, or they uh, they did the thumbs down, or whatever. Or the moment they stopped watching the video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. It was like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so he said it was like, it's like he's immediately watching this, like, focus group, but this is not, he didn't, he's not testing this this is he, this guy just made this thing and uploaded it into the world and now he's having to like watch this judgment happen like user at wow, a time yeah. and I was just like how can you do that and he's like I know it's terrifying but I can't like I can't look away like I just like <laughs> ingrained as part of the process and I'm happy that we didn't even we were just for a long time it was um, I mean it was it's this will sound like a humble brag or whatever but it was like we actually were doing crazy enough amounts of traffic that our, I don't know if it was just that our web hosting guy was like lazy and didn't want to like compile these logs so we could see the like, because we occasionally would ask, we were like, so what, can we give us our actual numbers and stuff? Like, what are we doing? Um, and uh, and he'd always be like, yeah, it's going to take like a couple of days because it's all these like log files and it, it kind of like chokes on them. And so we just never had those numbers. So I, I kind of feel fortunate that we didn't, because I think we could have obsessed over that stuff. And now it's carried into, even though we are, you know, we're, putting stuff on YouTube now and have a Twitter account and stuff like that. But like, we just don't care mm-hmm. if like it, it kind of helps inform uh, those decisions now where I, I don't think we'll be affected by it, even though it seems like that is the way that if you're going to make money on this stuff, you need to like yeah. get a million viewers <laughs> and you need to have ad revenue and all that yeah. stuff. But it's kind of like, I'm glad that I'm not sweating that even if it's not sure. Like, it's not like uh, crushing if we put up a, a new cartoon and it doesn't hit. You well, know? yeah. I mean, like, it, again, going back to the example of not not putting all your eggs in one basket with the YouTube example, we've just seen YouTube change their policies that in my mind, uh, really hurt people who who specialize in short form content because a lot of the metrics that they're using is the uh, number of collective hours watched per given amount of time, like per month or whatever. And obviously, if you're producing short form content, you need to have way more people watching your stuff to get that collective number of hours right. up. And it it's not it's not a comment on the quality of the content so much as just the quantity of it, which seems kind of backwards to me. I'm, yeah, so now if you just – I didn't realize that that's – I knew there was a change recently. Yeah, it was uh, something along the lines of like – I think it's like uh, in order to even be considered for monetization at this point, uh, your videos need to have achieved something like 4,000 hours worth of viewing time, which obviously if you're doing short form and even if you have a, a engaged, dedicated audience, you got to write a whole bunch of – different episodes or, or, or right. instances in order yeah. to achieve that. Uh, whereas if you are someone who maybe you you record a two-hour or three-hour gaming session 
and you upload it and there's, you know, there's a, a proven audience for that content because it's three hours and because a lot of those people will watch the entire three hours yeah. of material, <laughs> you rack those hours I mean, up much more quickly. one 40,000 hour video and you're set. I know, right? <laughs> just watch it yourself. It's just... Well, I, I, I remember when that little black spot was an orange, and uh, <laughs> now here we are, and it is just desiccated into nothing. Um, yeah, this isn't good, but it's consistent. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, well, again, a, a great reason why, why going into any one platform is a bit of a, a, you know, a danger, because you might, you might end up having a policy change that you have no, no control over, and it's not that your stuff isn't great or that it doesn't have an audience. It's just that because the rules changed above you, you suddenly have a door closed in your face, uh, which seems kind of unfair for anyone who's not like a big time content creator, like one of the one of the superstars. Um, and obviously, YouTube has gone through numerous changes over its its uh, history. I did a three part series about YouTube recently and really talked about how it's changed dramatically. So there's no guarantee that it's going to keep that policy. Maybe if there's enough resistance, they'll change it again. But it's one that draws concern from people who maybe they want to get a start. They have an idea and they want to indulge in that idea and they hope that it brings delight to others. And maybe one day they could make a living out of it. Uh, but it's it not only is discovery difficult now, but when the rules change like that, it's difficult to even get to the point where you can start monetizing it. Uh, you guys, however, had... This monetized your your stuff through mostly through merchandise and without advertising it. Uh, that was also interesting to me because, like, I I own some Homestar Runner stuff, but it was the sort of thing that I I went and searched for as opposed to you know watching a cartoon where. Uh, halfway through, it tells me, hey, by the way, if you want a shirt that has that funny thing that Strong Bad just said on it, you need to click this link yeah. here. You, or even at the end, where it wouldn't have really been obtrusive in any way. Our dad always wanted us to do that, and we were always too, our street cred was more important. Too valuable, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. we kind of shot ourselves in the foot. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, admit that now. amazed that people found that, because it was almost like the store was this Easter egg that you had to, if you really searched for a Homestar shirt, you could you could find it. But, like, we were very reluctant to... Well, it's funny, in, like, 2001 or two, uh, we were approached by someone from Hot Topic, and this wasn't like they walked up to us with, like, a contract for, like, hey, we want to turn, you know, mm -hmm. your, your characters into T-shirts and make millions of dollars. But they weren't starting a conversation that could have led to any, you know, any different variation of that mm -hmm. scenario. And um, we uh, just wanted nothing. You know, we didn't want to do it. And we, we kind of pitched them, like, oh, what if we did these other kind of weirder, like, jokes from our website that weren't, like, the characters? Like, they want to do Teen Girl Squad shirts and this other stuff. And, and we ultimately said no. And... I forget who I was talking to, uh, but it was like a small, not like an audience, but I was talking to, but it was a lot younger kids. And I like, I said it thinking that uh, I was like, yeah, and then we got approached by Hot Topic. And like, you know, so of course we said no to that. And then they were all just like stared at me. And they're just like, why did you say no to that? And I was like, because it was Hot Topic. Like, Hot Topic came to us. So I was like, you like, that would have just killed us instantly. Like, it's like, yeah, maybe a bunch of kids would have bought stuff and whatever. And they're like, yeah, and you would have like made a million dollars. It's like, well, I don't know that, and uh, and then I probably would have hated what I did after that. And they're just like, I, that was a bad decision. <laughs> you made a bad decision, and you should have put your stuff in hot topics. It's good to have life life lessons, really. Is yeah, what it comes down but to. I don't know. I get to. Um, I, I like to think that the Homestar Runner is therefore responsible for the "shut up and take my money" meme. <laughs> 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 but uh, but I mean that 
I, I appreciate that too, because it, again, it was that sort of uh, philosophy that sort of, it, 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 while it wasn't something that was being overtly stated, it was something that a lot of fans appreciated and, you know, taking the effort to try and find a way of, of supporting was great because it was, it was a, a show early on that, you know, I think a lot of stories about internet content focus on the negatives, like the idea of people who don't want to pay for content so they find workarounds so that they can get it for free. Right. But the opposite is also true, uh, where you'll find people who are encountering content that is seemingly being presented. I mean, it's, there's no there there was no advertising. You know, there was there was nothing where there was like a donate button or anything. It was like there's a store and you could go there and you could purchase things. And they said, you know, I want to support the content creators that I love and the stuff I love. I want them to keep making the stuff because I'm enjoying it. And uh, it tells you that there's there's really a place for that, too. And of course, now we see platforms like Patreon uh, that have come out to do more direct support of artists that have proven that point, that yeah. there are people who are willing to do that if yeah. you give them the opportunity. Right. We've had people tell us like, yeah, I bought 10 Homestar Runner shirts. I never wear them. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> after the second one, I didn't need any more. Well, yeah, well, now, I did it to support you. Yeah. Well, and well, people will say like, you know, I have, I've purchased enough merch. Like I'm not, it's not that I don't love you, but I, just, I don't need any more t-shirts. <laughs> Uh, can you please start a Patreon or something so I can give you some money every once in a while when I want to? I just don't need another Homestar shirt. Uh, and so that's that's good to hear that people are willing to do that. I, every kid at my local elementary school now has a Homestar runner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thrift store in my neighborhood is stocked full. Uh, but that's a that's a great. I mean, that's a great story because it tells you that what you have created has actually had a meaningful impact on people. And I know it sounds weird to call it a meaningful. Uh, impact when you're talking about a world that has a character called the poop smith uh, but it's true and and it's it's great because it's again i think it illustrates that positive side of the internet and we so will so quickly focus on that negative side and it's good to have something you can point at and say well you know Look at this. It shows that if you have the structure in place and if you have the right content in place, uh, people flock to it and people want to support it. And you guys have, have also, you know, I mentioned, you know, you were incorporated into the Buffy verse in an episode. Um, you've got you've had lots of references in various types of, of pop culture. What was that like seeing the thing that you had created start to get referenced uh, by by other like like pop culture icons, everything from, and they might be giants. I mean, uh, you know, making music for you. Yeah, that, that one was pretty amazing because I was, we were huge. They might be giant fan, giants fans growing up. So when they emailed us, that was pretty mind blowing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we heard from the, the Buffy thing, I think was like somebody at Fox was like, Hey, don't sue us. We, we they don't like, no, <laughs> nobody here knows what you guys are, but don't we, we put a Trogdor reference in this upcoming episode. Joss is a big fan. And they sent us their, or no, there was, was it in Entertainment Weekly? There was some picture that they referenced that was, and he had a strong bad shirt on in, like, on set of something he was shooting. Uh -huh. um, and so that was really cool. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, at the time, that was, that was pretty mind-blowing just to know that it's like, okay, so people outside of, you know, whatever weird world we thought we existed in as far as fan bases go, uh, people were finding that stuff. And we've since found out things like, um, uh, at that time, it was a friend of ours worked with Damon Lindelof and said that he, it was like, me and Joss Whedon would get in trouble. I was supposed to be writing Lost episodes and we'd be quoting Strong Bad to each other or something. I was like, holy crap, I was watching Lost when you were wasting time watching what I was making. That's amazing. 
Um, so that kind of stuff has been super cool. What was the show? Those uh, that show, the magicians that's on now. Mm-hmm. This was uh, it was nice because it felt like a little a nice little like a uh, bookend to the like Buffy thing, where I guess the, they referenced Trogdor in uh, I think it's the season two finale or something. And I still haven't even seen it. I just people everybody told me uh, what the or sent me little clips of it or whatever, which um, that's always so it's it's always cool to see that stuff. Yeah, and then that actually led to other things like collaborations where you guys did uh, the animations for um, uh, for a They Might Be Giants video, which is uh, fantastic. And and uh, you've appeared on, well... Yeah, we've done several collaborations with them. The characters have appeared on stage with They Might Be Giants because I've been to some of those shows oh, nice. at the Variety Playhouse. And that was always a joy uh, to the point where you... I would imagine that was part of the inspiration for them to come up out with their band, the them band, the the sock puppets, <laughs> the avatars of they, the avatars <laughs> of they, where they would, wow. Uh, when I would see that come out, I was like, this is this is mind blowing. <laughs> this is happening right now, um, and uh, and seeing seeing Homestar and Strong Bad in uh, in person is always a big thrill for for me. Despite it's so weird to say that out loud to the people who actually made that, but it's absolutely true. Uh, so. You you go through you're you're doing the the series. It's got you know it's got some some not just just fan support, but it's also blossoming in various areas of pop culture. We see Trogdor get into Guitar Hero two, which is still an, another amazing thing. When that when I found out that that was a bonus track, I was so thrilled. <laughs> Immediately, I was like, "This is my quest to master Trogdor." <laughs> uh, that solo, by the way, impossible. Hey, um, you want to know something? This is what, we didn't find this out until uh, later, or I think we knew it, but we didn't realize it. So we played as Limousine, that the band that plays yes. other ones um, live, and so the we play with these guys that are in this band, Yacht Rock, mm-hmm. and another band called Saved by the Band, um, and our uh, uh, they learned the song, and um, and so uh, our friend that does that plays guitar for us. Uh, Chris Harrison, he learned the song. He's like, a, knows, uh, really knows his stuff as far as like squealy, wanky guitar. Yes. And it's all like, he's, it's amazing. He can do the tapping. He can do all this stuff. And it's incredible. And so he learned Trogdor. And then uh, we came in to practice and he played it. And he like nails that solo. And then one of the other guys was like, you know, when we originally recorded that, because he wasn't on that song, he was like, that's like, that's keyboard. That's yeah, like, like a keyboard. keyboard thing. It's just like playing four notes. Doing yeah. That. And he was like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, no one can play that fast. And he was like, oh, well, I learned it. And so, uh, yeah. But so it, does, it didn't surprise me when uh, I learned that. Uh, I think we kind of told the harmonics people that at the time. And they're like, ah, it's fine. We'll just we'll make it the guitar. It's fantastic. And I've watched YouTube videos of people who have done the perfect run on that, on the hardest setting, and it's just mind-blowing. I Uh, I can't can't even... I can't see as fast as they're playing, (laughs) which is the crazy thing. (laughs) But uh, uh, then we get up to about 2010, and it was then when you guys were starting to get other opportunities that uh, that also were pulling you away from Homestar. And as I understand it, it was getting to a, a, a situation where it wasn't that you wanted to to leave the the series; it was that you were having you know other demands on your time, whether it was family or it was other other gigs that were coming up, and it just became one of those things where. Uh, Week after week, it just wasn't you just didn't have the time to dedicate to making more content for Homestar Runner. Uh, is that is that more or less accurate for how things turned out? Yeah, I mean, we had no idea how long it was going to be either. I mean, we Matt 
second daughter was born, I think that was basically when we when we stopped doing stuff and we didn't know mm-hmm. if it was going to be, oh, let's take a break for two months. Yeah. Four years. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that, you know, you, you take those breaks and then other things come up and, and obviously you've got all these commitments on your time. Uh, and, and then you're, you're thinking, well, how, how do I, how do I communicate this to a fan base? Yeah. And then at some point it was like, wait, we've waited too long. Or like, is it weird to try to say something when we don't know what we're saying? We don't know, mm-hmm. you know, like if we're going to say, Hey, we'll do some Homestar stuff in a year. We, you know. Yeah, there was no definitive answer, and then at that time, we didn't know. We had, like, a development deal at Disney and a development deal at Nickelodeon, and we were going to make some Yo Gabba Gabba episodes, and these things that were just like, that doesn't mean anything to a Homestar fan, and maybe we undervalued that. Maybe they would have been excited to hear that stuff, but then it was like, that Nickelodeon thing went nowhere, and that Disney thing went nowhere, and so that would have been, like, after the fact, would have been, like, depressing, that I was like, oh, they were like, oh, yeah, so their Disney thing didn't work out, and the Nickelodeon thing didn't work out, and... Oh, that, like, Neo Gabba Christmas episode they directed was horrible. And, <laughs> like, I don't know. So it just felt weird, especially because we never, aside from being, like, we intimated that, like, we'd had babies, and so we're going to take some time off. That's kind of the only time Mike and I ever sort of inserted our, like, creator lives into sure. the fans' heads. I mean, we always intentionally, aside from some, like, fake things on a DVD where we're, in, like, spoofing how we make things. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted us to be separate from it. We never wanted to have the, like, creator blog side of it. And sure. Definitely not the, like, the way that most of the, like, YouTube personalities are, like, even if their content is not that, they're, like, always after the fact. It's like, hey, I'm the star of the YouTube thing you just watched. Do you remember to go to the store and buy the new merch and blah, blah, blah. It's always just, like, I, we didn't want to be the face of any of it, you know? That's fair. Um, so it, it felt weird to then have that conversation after, like, never really talking to the fans as Mike and Matt, um, at least through the website, to, like, give a weird half-assed explanation of, like, I don't know. We don't know. That was the, you know, and, it's, sure. and then that just felt like I would be super unsatisfied if I just got a we don't know what's going on from the creator of my thing that I liked. So, I don't know. We always apologize. I, we didn't handle it right. We didn't know how to handle it right. And we, uh, like, there was, it was so funny. The day before we put up um, the first cartoon we made in forever, which was this April Fool's cartoon in 2014, yeah, I think. Right. Um, I got a, somebody found my, like, personal email address, a fan, and sent this, like, pages long thing like tearing us apart and for, saying for that it's like radio silence yeah and for yeah. and just being like here's this what this meant to me here like every week like it was so it was like the first half was like super awesome fan like, <laughs> and the second half was like and here's why I hate you and will never support anything you've ever done ever again uh, and uh, and like literally we're finishing up this cartoon to wow. send like to upload at like midnight I get this at like I don't know 7pm the, the day before and um I uh, I think I just I, I forget I think I wrote back and I just said like hey I'm so sorry thanks for being a fan and just kept it vague and sort of hoping that then that maybe that cartoon would happen and that they would be like wait they listened and they made that cartoon <laughs> what um, an amazing turnaround the last half an hour they made this cartoon for me um, so yeah so that was the main reason we never we just the the explanation was never like exciting enough to like sure. to like feel like to like peel behind the curtain and be like hey look behind here we're making a new project because none of those projects ever really happened. Um, so, uh, yeah. Well, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, we actually made a strong bad sort of addressing, talking to the fans about it. Mm -hmm. And I forget when that was. That was maybe six months or so after we had stopped doing stuff and we made this thing and then never ended up putting it up because we were just like, this is weird. We showed it one time at a uh, conference we were at last year. I, uh, and it went over kind of weird. Yeah. So, so <laughs> right. I think we made the right call. I think, I think my favorite, uh, uh, I, I'm also fortunate in that because I uh, again, live in Atlanta. 
Um, I'm I'm a, a frequent patron of Dad's Garage Theater, so I actually got to see the special Strong Bad email oh, from yeah, Dad's right. Garage Theater because yeah. I've I've been supporting them since 2000. So uh, I was there at their old theater, and when they went to uh, move into seven stages for a while and now they have their new theater and they that was one of the things they showed one night and the crowd reaction when that came on was pretty phenomenal they showed it at the fox theater oh, <laughs> they, had a special, they had a special event a special fundraiser at the fox theater and it was kind of a variety show of uh, giving an example of the sort of material that they would do and they showed the strong bad uh, special email to Dad's Garage, and hearing the Fox Theater erupt in applause at a strong bad email was nice. something really special. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's awesome. I think that was the second cartoon. I think that was the next thing we made after that uh, April Fools in 2014. Was that yeah. uh, strong bad email? So it had been four or five years since we had made a strong bad email. Was the reaction to that that April first, 2014 video? Was that something that uh, was really? Uh, gratifying for you guys because I know at least in my own personal circle of friends when people found out that there was a new Homestar Runner cartoon up uh it went nuts on my Facebook page. I mean, like it was like it was like what half of my friends were sharing. Um so I imagine like when you you know you've been you've been kind of away from it for four years uh was it surprising to you to see a reaction like yeah, a positive? gotten I think Gizmodo and some of the blogs had, you know, linked to it. So that was surprising and, you know. Yeah, we didn't know. We just sort of assumed that the the few people that sadly still check <laughs> homestarrunner.com entered this URL into their um, their yellowed keys of their mechanical Yeah, because Strongbat didn't have a Twitter yet or anything, right? I mean, no. there was really no – I guess we had a YouTube page, but we didn't. So there was really no way to communicate to the fans mm-hmm. that, hey, we've got this new cartoon up unless yeah, so you we went to the site. No, know if anyone would really see it. Uh, and then if, if then people did stumble across it, uh, if they would, you know, be excited about it or pass it on or whatever. So that was that was cool. And that definitely led to it just sort of – coincided with the fact that I was I was living in LA at the time when we made that actually and then we uh I my, but I knew my family was moving back to the Atlanta area and so the fact that Mike and I were going to be back in the same town again mm-hmm. and that like it was like oh it seems like people don't hate us and maybe want to see more things it just kind of was like all right well if we're back in the same town again we should at least start doing stuff as you know often as we can mm-hmm. um, between whatever other gig we were doing. Yeah, so since then we've been doing Homestar stuff, you know, every few months or, you know, depending on what the other stuff we're working on is. So Sure. So what other stuff are you working on since, uh, you know, we know that Homestar Runner is in good hands. It's going to continue <laughs> coming out and, and, and keeping hope alive so that when we do that, that jump to Homestar Runner, there's a, there's a good chance there's going to be something new there. But what else are you guys working on? Um, we're just talking to, for the first time ever, we've been talking with Adult Swim locally here. Oh, wow. Uh, which is, uh, and so we'll see. We have no idea if that will go anywhere or not. But we, uh, we've we known people that have worked on shows there. We've mm-hmm. known, you know, creators of shows there and stuff before, but had never actually uh, spoken with them. And it's actually, it's, it's great because there's a hilarious, I think it's been debunked enough now, but for a very long time, uh, if we would ever talk to people, not that we do so many interviews, but... It would come up to be like, and I heard that you guys stormed out of an Adult Swim meeting and said no to them. And we were like, no, I, I mean, I don't know if there was ever an overture either way. And we love that, we love that channel. And you, you probably 
heard the hot topic story. And just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but so, so that's exciting. So for the first, we were just like, yeah, they're down the street. It kind of makes sense. Like I moved to L.A. even though there was like an entire cartoon network, you know, here as well. Yeah, everyone uh, assume when they find out we're from Atlanta, like, oh, you guys must, you know, work with Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. we do stuff with Disney and <laughs> Nickelodeon <laughs> 3,000 miles away. Um, but so that's exciting. So we'll see where that goes. Um, and uh, and what else? And let's just we haven't been doing other Homestar stuff. We have a couple of Homestar like sort of top secrety things that we'll be revealing soon. That'll be exciting. That we've been spending a lot of that take a lot of sort of build up time. Secret time. Secret time. Fantastic. Um, and um, I've been um, speaking of Sierra games. There's a park down at the end of my street, and so I've been making uh, King's Quest style graphics of a couple little parts of the park. There's awesome. a little waterfall, and so I made this little King's Quest looking waterfall. Oh man! Yeah. This is what Mike does. Roy Ma- Ro- Roy Mar Roy Moss Senior Memorial Garden. It's called the Garden, and it is not a garden. It's <laughs> the word. It's one of those just it's like a retention. You know, yeah, straight <laughs> runoff retention. Yeah. Pond. I guess that doesn't have quite the same ring to it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's actually it's featured. It's heavily featured in the Peasants Quest live action. Yeah, trailer. fantastic. Jonka yeah. Cave. Yeah. Oh man. And uh, um, I, I also have to give you guys props for uh, two more eggs because I've been. Yeah, so that was we did that with Disney for two years. We ended last, you know, summers or so. Um, yeah. But so that was really good. That was great. We made ninety shorts, little shorts for Disney. A uh, panda um, practice is one of my not, favorites. Oh, nice! That was our fa- that was the last five we did. Yeah, that was our swan song. Yeah, sure. that was our most fun. We did that with our daughters. Um, so our three daughters, are the, so good are the voices, and so that was uh, yeah. Glad you liked it. That was yeah. Fun. That one's certainly fun to make. That was good to know too. We uh, we actually get we get that back, uh, so mm-hmm. we can actually try and take give panda practice some more life. A bunch of the stuff we made for Disney, like that they own. For sure, we can't sure. do anything else with. But panda practice is one of those few that's like. Uh, especially like making cartoons with your kids. There's nothing better than that. So maybe maybe hurry, that'll find more life. Up. My my daughter's eleven. Yeah, she's not going to want to do that with you anymore. No, it's just <laughs> <laughs> I am so. Their voices over. are going to be changing. Yeah. We're not going to be able to. I I recommend to my listeners if you have not seen uh, the series Two More Eggs, go to YouTube and uh, especially the the Panda Practice episodes. They are they are amazing. Uh, and and they will make you want to play drums on people's faces. Um, as a as a local Atlantan too, did you did you get our uh, Lois Reitz's? Oh, yes, <laughs> immediately did. Yes, as I was watching it, I was like, "This is so clearly a, a beautiful homage to the Atlanta, uh, a treasure of Lois Reitz's." Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I've been hearing that voice forever, and uh, and yeah, it's not meant in any sort of insulting way. No, you I, I hope tell. I do it. I hope I it's respectful. I, I, I could tell as I was listening. Like this is this is someone who has genuine affection <laughs> for that voice. It's not making fun of that voice, and uh, she's also a friend of uh, Dad's Garage Theater. So sometimes you hear that voice if you go to see a show there, which is amazing. So again, like, that's the other thing I love about about uh, watching your content is that it gives me another connection to my home. So <laughs> it's always fun, and to occasionally explain to people where uh, certain little things come from is always kind of fun too because it gives them a chance to go down that rabbit hole that uh, the internet was really created for. I mean, yeah. ultimately, that's what the internet is, right? <laughs> it's just just one giant black hole of information. There's a... Um, uh, one of the series we did for Two More Eggs is called Tronkles. It's this mm-hmm. fake British show. Uh-huh. And so there's a, a part with uh, some of the background drawings of buildings and structures in this town of Tronkles are local buildings like around Decatur. So Wonderful. Keep your, keep your eyes open for... Um, <laughs> 
the uh, library at Decatur High School, which is this yep. weird sort of that's that, that appears that yep. appears yep. there. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know it well. Oh man, well. Thank you guys so much for coming on Tech Stuff and spending this time. I really appreciate it. It's been a, a thrill for me. And anyone out there who's not familiar with uh, with your work, they need to go out and seek it out because it's that level of, of surreal absurdity that just... The first time I think anyone watches anything, they might just be confused. And then <laughs> yeah. and then after they watch the same thing a second time, they're like, okay, I'm starting to get it. And then next thing you know, they've watched the same thing 15 times. And then you say, you realize there's 900 more of these, right, <laughs> that you that you can watch. And, and in sequence or out of sequence, if you prefer, you can really just jump around if you like. Uh, but uh, it, it's great. I can't wait to make um, uh, more references with my friends. I really hope that we can get that giant trog door uh, 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 portrait with the cutouts <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, over to the Georgia Renaissance That's Festival. I really think yeah. <laughs> I'll talk to the entertainment director. I know him, so we'll see if we can get it. Right. Just right. hidden somewhere, like off, yeah. like in some forest somewhere, where you have to like sort of be fantastic. I know exactly it. where it should go. <laughs> it's like it's like like listen. I know it's a big hill, and I know it looks like there's not much up there. But if you <laughs> look, you will find treasure. <laughs> right? Like trust me. Uh, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for it. having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so that's it for this episode of Tech Stuff. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Well, my guests were a small piece of potato that has been sitting inside a transistor radio since the 1970s. Thank you for being on, potato. Yes, that's that's, that's nice potato. All right. And so join me next week when my guests will be... What's that? Apparently it'll be that same piece of potato next week. Thank you very much. Don't forget to support this podcast if you like what you're listening to. Next week, I hope to raise it maybe to $16. That was an interview with the creators of Homestar Runner, and we're going to move right on along. So if you want to keep listening to the playlist, we've got a lot more coming. And let me know what you guys think, if there are things you would like me to cover as we go through all this. I've got a big series about the PlayStation coming up soon, uh, but if there are any other topics you would like me to cover, reach out on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for both is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. TechStuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.